Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, Crossing Church. How are you doing this morning? Ah, such a fine day, such a great day to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. I know you're gathered all over this region right now, 11 different locations. We're so thankful for each and every one of you that are attending today. If you're one of our inside locations, uh, thankful for you as well, praying for you as well, and praying for those uh, locations that are inside that haven't opened yet because of the pandemic that uh, just praying that God will open those as soon as possible so the message of the Lord can get into there. And uh, if you're online, we're thankful for you and waiting for that time when you're able to come back and uh, be with us personally because there's just nothing like being around your family, your body, the body of believers just loving the Lord together. So excited about that. And I love the part of the service that we all just went through at all of our locations where we see the baptisms uh, on the screen. You know, we do some subtle things, and I know you've noticed this, that uh, they go from black and white to color. And you see that, you just, you just see that change that happens in a person's life. That is just such an exciting part. Just fills me with joy uh, that we get to see that, participate in that every single week at the crossing from death to life. We get to see that just awesome. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about baptism. I love my church because of the way that we emphasize baptism, the way that we teach baptism. Now, there are a lot of new words and phrases that have been added to our vocabulary in the last year. Isn't that right? I mean, because of the pandemic and everything that surrounded it, there's just all these, all, all these new terms and all these new words. And there's some that we've used for a long time, but they got a more powerful meaning as we went through this last time. And here's one of those words. Are you ready? Essential. Now, we always used that word, didn't we? But now it has a different meaning. It has a, a, a more focused, more poignant meaning. How do we use that word? Well, we used it to describe workers that we felt that we literally could not live without, right? So we saw them on the front lines of the crisis, like healthcare workers, first responders, uh, grocery store employees, truck drivers, delivery people, people who kept the electricity on, people who kept the water flowing, the crops growing, and so on. It's not really a hard concept to get your mind around, right? Because it's, it's obvious, but it's also hard to look at all the other occupations, many of which you and I are involved in, and to be considered or labeled as non-essential. If you are one of those non-essentials, how did that make you feel? I know how it made me feel. How does it feel to be labeled as optional or unnecessary? It seems to me like this world has no problem quickly labeling or categorizing us, placing us into columns or lines with those kinds of labels. And it just, it's just so gratifying to know that that is not how God sees you. 
God doesn't see any of us as non-essential. All we have to do is go to God's word. Listen to the words of Jesus himself in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You are essential. Look at Simon Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Wow, you're essential. Look at John's words in Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You're essential. Look at Jesus's actions in the gospels. Look at how he sees individuals. How does he see prostitutes and thieves and tax collectors and the physically handicapped and the mentally impaired and the demon possessed and ruined, broken people? How does he see them? essential. God sees you and what he sees when he looks at you is essential. God loves you and it's precisely that that makes you that, makes you essential. The fact that God loves you. The question today isn't whether or not God sees you as essential. Because he does. I mean, the Bible's clear. The question today is whether or not you see him that way. That's what I want to challenge you with today. I want you to camp out on that thought. If I understand my relationship with God to be essential, then how does that affect how I relate to him? What he tells me to do, what he wants me to think, what he wants me to say, how he wants me to feel, what he wants me to know. If God is essential to me, then what he tells me is essential. Oh, wait a minute. That's a jumping off point for a lot of us, right? Oh, yeah, I want God to be essential in my life. I just want to live the way I want to live. Whoa, wait a minute. If God's essential to me, then what he tells me is essential. If God is essential to me, then I can't live in the margins Or on the minimums, I I can't be asking myself, how little can I do? Uh, How less amount of time I need to think about this or feel a certain way. He has got to be in the center place of my life. That's why we call him Lord. Now, here's the first point I want to make. In order for God to be essential in your life, Jesus has to be essential. Because you can't get to God without going through Jesus. I know that because Jesus said it. He said it himself in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, you know, we just camped out on these other uh, verses of scriptures where it says everyone, anyone, if anyone, you know, right? The no one here in John 14, 6 is just as strong And just as true as all the anyone's and everyone's. That there's no other way to God, if you consider him essential, there is no other way to God than through Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus Christ makes certain things essential. We already read one of them in John 3, 16. Whoever believes in me. Belief is not optional. If you want to come to God through Jesus Christ, it requires you to believe in Jesus. Belief is essential. He also made repentance essential. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all, you too, will all perish. How many? All, right? Okay, wait a minute. What, 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 is, what does repentance mean? I'm not going to tell you. I'll just show you. Ready? Did you see that? I have a great profile, don't I? Anyway, <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me illustrate one more time. I'm going to repent right now. Because the word repent means turn. It simply means to turn. It means that I'm going one direction in my life. I'm doing my own thing. I have my own goals. I have my own aspirations. And now I am turning and I'm replacing the, the old with the new. There's a new direction in my life. That's what repentance is. Jesus said that was essential. You can't come to the Father through Jesus unless you believe in him and unless you're willing to turn and follow him. Number three, confession. Jesus made confession essential. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of confession some of us were raised with where you would go to a priest and you would tell them the things that you've done wrong and then they would tell you what you need to say or pray in order to be right with God again. We're talking about something else. We're talking about saying publicly who you believe Jesus is. So look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. It says, whoever acknowledges, and that's the same word as confesses, me before others, I will also acknowledge or confess before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. There it is again, whoever. So Jesus makes it clear that if you want to come to God through him, then confession is essential. You notice every single time a person gets baptized at the crossing, that always begins in the water with some words that we say. Do you remember that? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and I want him as my personal Lord and Savior. That is confessing Christ. So on hearing about Jesus, we believe in him, we repent of our sins, we confess him, and then we're baptized. Jesus made baptism essential in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's Again, that's everyone, right? Anyone, everyone. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive, uh, did I, I got, must have got that wrong. In the name of Jesus Christ for the, oh, oh I'm looking at something, you got messed up. Peter reiterated this in Acts 2.38. In Acts 2.38, the very first sermon, the Holy Spirit fills him and he says, he, he's responding to what 
he was being asked by the crowd because they were just told that they had killed the Son of God. And he said, what, they said, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Every one of you. There's another everyone, anyone, right? In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want the forgiveness of sins? How many of you want the gift of the Holy Spirit? Okay, look at what Peter says under the inspiration of God. This is how we go into this new reality. So Jesus said it, and Peter said it on the very first sermon on the day of Pentecost. Baptism is the essential that I want to explore with you today. Because many people have pushed it aside. They pushed it aside saying that it's not essential. That it's a non-essential. And that bothers me. It bothers me because I don't think you're not essential. And if Jesus raises something up to this level, where do we get the right to say that it is not essential? Some people put the baptism off and they do it with some of the same feelings. Like when I get my life together, I get things worked out, well, then I'll do that. Like you can do that on your own. Right? Some might say that immersion at the crossing is a crossing distinctive because we see people every week, right? And by the way, we're ready every week. The water's always warm. We've already got, always got stuff for people to change into. We have towels. So, hey, no excuses, right? We're always ready at every location. And so if you said that it was a crossing distinctive, you'd be right. And I'll tell you why. Because we treat it as essential. But we believe that because that's what we see in God's word, okay? So baptism is talked about over 60 times in the New Testament. And there's a lot of times where there's illustrations that are associated with baptism to help us understand the gravity of it, the weight of it, okay? And I'm just going to go through seven of them. There's a lot more than seven. And, you know, I'm going to go over time anyway. So just understand, I'm, I, I've pared this down. This is one of those sermons where it's hard because you have to say, I can't say that. I can't. I don't have time for that. I can't do that. It's hard. Number one, it's my ticket on the ark. You familiar with the story of Noah and the ark and the great flood and all the animals, right? And there were eight people that were saved and everybody else drowned. How many of you would have liked to have had a ticket on that ark if you lived back then? Yeah, that was a hot ticket, let me tell you, right? And if, if I have a ticket on the ark, it keeps me from drowning in a sea of sin. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21a, it says, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Listen to the next part. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. Now that pledge of a clear conscience toward God is a very powerful statement because the word pledge there, it's like something you're saying, like I pledge allegiance, like, you know, a pledge. It could also be translated plea, but it's a response, like you're asking for something or you're speaking something out for a clear conscience. Now, to understand a clear conscience, you, need to have, to, uh, you have to understand 
where a clear conscience comes from. A clear conscience comes from a guilty conscience. How in the world do you have a clear conscience? Unless it started with a guilty one, right? The Bible says we're all sinners. So as being all sinners, we all have guilty consciences. So the only way that we can get a clear conscience is to ask somebody to forgive us and then to receive that forgiveness, right? So we ask for it or we plead for it or we pledge to it. And so here Peter is saying that that baptism is the way that we ask him. It is a pledge to God for a clear conscience. It's my ticket on the ark. Anything else, I'm drowning. Secondly, it's my door to the promised land. I mean, we want to go to the promised land. Yeah, we all want to go to heaven, right? We all want to go on on the other side of this life. We want to go to a place that we want to go to, a place that's good. And in the Old Testament, there was this story. They're wandering in the wilderness. They go to the promised land, right? Moses leading them, and then later Joshua. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Now, what he's talking about is that in the daytime, God led them with a cloud, like a pillar of cloud, and at night it was a pillar of fire, right? And then when they got to the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea and they walked across. Verse 2 says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So you remember what happens, you know, Moses spreads, spreads out, I mean, puts his rod, his shepherd's staff out over the water and the water parts on both sides and two million of the children of Israel walk across on dry ground. It's not even muddy on dry ground with the water heaped up on both sides. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. Here comes the Egyptian army to kill them and God closes the water up and destroys the Egyptian army. Not only does he destroy the Egyptian army, he closes the door. They can't go back to Egypt. They can't go back to enslavement. They can't go back to that life anymore. Now there's only forward. And baptism is the way that we don't look backward anymore. We look forward. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Third thing is it's proof of the promise. Like somebody may want to hold you accountable. They, want, they might want to say, well, how, I mean, how can, how can you prove to me that? <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands. Now, now, now we know what that is. But in is, the time of Israel, in that time, that was a peculiarity. And God used this rite of circumcision to separate the Israel nation from the nations of the world. It was the sign, God said, of the covenant, the promise he had with the nation of Israel. But now here in Colossians, the apostle Paul says that this is a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised with Christ. Circumcised with Christ? What is he talking about? Here it comes. Having been buried with him, In baptism, 
in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. This signifies that I have stepped over the line. This is a physical, tangible way that I understand that a decision has been made. An old life has been left and a new life is coming. It's my spiritual cleansing. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Ananias is witnessing to Saul, who's also known as the Apostle Paul, and this is how he finishes up. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. How many of you want your sins washed away? Yeah. This is what Ananias said to Saul. And you're calling on his name. By doing this, you are calling on his name. Now, I've been able to baptize a lot of people in my lifetime. And, I, and unlike many of you, I'm able to hear what they say, like what their impressions are after they've been baptized. And the one I hear more than any other is, I feel clean. Well, that makes sense to me. Because of not what you're doing, but what God is doing. He's washing your sins away. Here's another one. It's my spiritual clothing. Galatians 3.27, the Apostle Paul writes, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now let me just tell you something that I don't know if you want to think about because it's nightmarish, okay? It's really super scary. But there is a day in all of our futures where we're going to have to stand before Almighty God and give an account for what we've done in this life. He's going to be sitting on his throne and we're going to be standing there. And I don't know if you've ever had a nightmare like where you're in school and everyone's laughing at you and you realize that you didn't put any clothes on that day. Like you're standing there naked. I don't know if you've ever had that naked dream. That's a lot of people have a scary thing or maybe it's just me. I don't know. Point is this. When you stand before God, God knows everything about your life and all that's going to get shared. Oh, man. You mean all of heaven? Yeah. You mean all the angels? Yeah. Except for one thing. Except if I'm clothed in Christ. Because if I'm clothed in Christ, when God looks at me on that day when I stand before him, he will see me clothed in Christ. He will see his son. And when he sees his son, he won't be looking at any of the other stuff. Which means I don't have to stand in front of Almighty God and be completely embarrassed because he has covered my sin in his own son. And he removes my shame. Clothed in Christ. Connected to baptism. It's my contact with the blood of Jesus. Do you know that? Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Where did Jesus shed his blood? Where do you come in contact with the blood of Jesus? Where did he shed his blood? He shed his blood on the cross when he was dying for our sins. When we come in contact with his death, we are coming in contact with his blood. Verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. This is where the power is. The power is in the blood, and the blood happened in the death. And when I am buried with Christ in the water of baptism, I'm uniting with him in his death and receiving that atoning, cleansing blood. Amen. And, and it's how Jesus wants me to ask him into my life. Now, I, 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 like a lot of you, I was raised, I was raised in a Baptist home, and that meant the sinner's prayer. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm really sorry. I want you to come into my life, and I want to live for you. Now, I had a rude awakening when I was 20 years old because I found out that's not in the Bible anywhere. And you think something is as important as how to receive Jesus ought to be somewhere in the Bible. I ought to be able to read it there somewhere, right? And that was really tough for me until I investigated it in the New Testament. And this is what I found out. We read that scripture about Saul's baptism, right? Now arise, be baptized, washing away your sins. What does it say after that? Calling on the name of the Lord. And I read 1 Peter 3.21. The like figure wherein to baptism now also saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but a plea or pledge to God for a clear conscience. That's how he wants me to ask him. He doesn't want me to pray a prayer. This is my prayer. When I stand in that water and I let, it, I let somebody put me down in that water and I come back up out of that water, that's how I ask him. Now, some of you may want to ask God a different way than the way he told you to. I don't know if that's wise. If you're wanting to borrow the car keys from your parents or your grandparents, and they say, well, here are the rules that come with the car keys, it's probably important for you to do what they ask. So I just want to do what he tells me. All of these and so many more that I don't have time to share with you show me just how essential God's word makes this to my relationship with Jesus. Now, these are some of the reasons that we baptize. But you know what? It's enough that Jesus just tells us to. I don't, I don't need to go through all of that. Now, it's nice to know all that, but I don't need to go through all that. I just need to say, yes, Lord. Are you kidding? Eternal life? Gift of the Holy Spirit? Sins washed away? Don't have to be embarrassed before God? Yeah, bring it on. I don't, I, I don't want to argue about it. But a lot of people do. Usually they're believers. I've had lots of discussions about it. All sorts of different things. And there are some frequently asked questions that come with this. And I feel like I need to answer them. Okay? And i got to be careful because I did this in first service. And my wife came, uh, talked to me after the service and said, you know what? You might want to tone that down a little bit. I thought I was just being funny. So I'm going to tone it down a little bit because... If I ever want to know what the Holy Spirit wants, I just ask her. She tells me. (laughs) Amen? If you didn't say amen and you're married. (laughs) Is there a right way to baptize? Yes. The answer is yes. To be baptized is to be fully immersed in water. Some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh. Right? How do I know that? Well, I know that because of the word baptize. 
Because the word baptized is not an English word. It's a Greek word. It comes right out of the New Testament. We just put an English ending on it, like baptized or baptism. But the actual word in the Greek language is baptizo, and it means to immerse. It's the same word that they used in literature about a man who was drowning or a ship that was sinking. Okay? And it is exclusively the only biblical example. Some of you, like me, that didn't happen to you. You were sprinkled. Right? I was born in the Methodist church, and they brought me up front, and they have this little font. Mom and dad were there, and they got the water, and they sprinkled it on my head. And what mom and dad were trying to do was signify that they wanted to raise this child, me, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Nothing wrong with wanting to do that, but is that baptism? Well, it isn't for a couple of reasons, but one is that it's not immersion. Now, there is a word for sprinkling in the Greek language. It's the word rantizo, and it's used in the New Testament, but never for water, only for blood. It talks about how in the Old Testament they would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. It's used there, but never used about baptism. Immersion was exclusively the way that was used in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it was described. So, so like when John was baptizing, he was in a river. People would go down into the river, he would baptize them, right? When Jesus was baptizing with John, that's what he did. When Jesus was baptized, he was immersed. When the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 was baptized, they went down into the water, Philip baptized him, and then they came up out of the water. So every illustration we have in the Bible is immersion. So immersion is the right way to baptize. Does that mean that God is going to just, his head's going to explode if you don't do that? I don't know. I just want to do it God's way. It's just that simple. Who should be baptized? People who decide they want to be in a relationship with Jesus. That's not hard. But who does not decide if they want to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, little babies don't. That's their parents that are making that decision, not them, right? And if you want to come to Christ, everyone has to make their own decision about Jesus. And if you're wondering, there is no record in the New Testament of any baby or infant child being baptized because it was only done when people made their own decision. Here's the next question When should I be baptized? Do I need to have my life in order? The answer is no. Baptism signifies that I can't get my life in order. And I'm relying on Jesus to do what I cannot do. We don't need to be ready. Some of you go, well, I want to be ready when I'm baptized. Like, I want to have it all figured out and I want to have my... No, we don't need to be ready. We just need to do it. We just need to obey him. You need to lay down trusting in yourself and pick up trusting in him. One I hear probably more than any other one is this. Is baptism a work? Am I trying in some way to earn my salvation? The answer is no. Baptism is not something you do. Baptism is something that is done to you. Have you seen that? We don't have 
I don't, I don't think that there's any church that has self-service baptisms. <laughs> I don't, there I go again. Sorry, Allison. There is no biblical example of self-baptism. Actually, it's a visual statement that I can't save myself. Here's another one. Is once enough or do I need to do it over and over again? Once is enough. That's the answer. The reason that's the answer is because Jesus died once. Now, the other things I've discussed, they're done all your life. You don't ever stop believing, right? And belief kind of ebbs and flows. You don't ever stop repenting because you and I know that we're doing something every day that we need to repent of, right? And confession is something that we have to be continually remind ourselves of, but baptism isn't like that. Baptism is one and done. Now, let me tell you where I had a personal problem with this. I was baptized when I was eight years old. When you're eight years old, you don't know a whole lot. I, I, I didn't know what the virgin birth was. I couldn't explain that to you when I was eight years old. And when I was 21, I was at Bible college. I'd had two years in Bible college, and now I was you know, super smart because I'd been to Bible college. And I had a girlfriend at the time. She's in the back. I married her. Anyway... And I had, this, I had this insecurity. I was, I was struggling because I was saying to myself, you know, I didn't know anything hardly when I was eight years old. And I wonder if I need to be rebaptized. And she said, well, that's interesting. Do you think that you're going to know more at 30 than you do at 21? And I said, well, I hope I do. How about 40 or 50? She, and I go, I would, I would hope that I would know more. So do you need to get baptized? Do you think that if you got baptized today, do you think you need to get baptized again at 30 or at 40 or at 50? Because baptism is based on how many things you know. And then she asked me, what did you know when you were eight? And I said, I knew that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. She goes, you've been baptized. Okay. I think that's something that we all need to know. Because it's not about works and it's not about now I'm up at this level or that level. I think you have to look back on whatever happened to you in your life and go, well, did I follow the biblical prescription? And if you haven't followed the biblical prescription, then you need to. You know, there's a story about Ananias and Sapphira and a man, a teacher named Apollos. And the Bible doesn't find fault with Apollos but it says that he only knew the baptism of John, which means he did not know about being baptized into Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila actually went to him and explained that to him, just like I'm explaining this to you right now. And then he was baptized. So if you haven't done that, I just, I just feel like we need to be taught. This is what the Bible says. Some of you, you talk to other people, but you maybe don't know those, these answers. And I think this could really be helpful for you. But let's get deeper, okay? I'm about done. Let me, let, me, let me get deeper. I have a friend, he's a preacher, and he went to Haiti to do a, a series of sermons in Haiti. And uh, he was preaching from Romans chapter 6 about baptism and being uh, buried with Christ, you know, dying, being buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. 
And at the end of his sermon, and he's talking with an interpreter. So the interpreter is interpreting into Creole what he's saying in English. And at the end of the sermon, there's an altar call for people to come forward. And this boy, this young boy comes forward and he is just crying. Now that's not abnormal. People, when they come to Christ, a lot of times they have an emotional response. Only this kid was taking it to a whole different level. I mean, he wasn't crying. He was retching. I mean, he was overwhelmed with grief. And the, and the preacher kind of noticed that. It's like, wow, that's, that's like a really strong reaction. And they got him ready. You know, they had a little white robe. They put this little white robe on him. They had a baptistry there in the church. The preacher got in the water, and the little kid got in the water. And he still, he hasn't even slowed down. Still crying, still retching, just, just horrible. And so the man says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he put him down in the water and he raises him up out of the water. And he said, I have never in my life seen such a profound transformation in a human being. This kid went from retching and crying to a, a, a level of joy that I consider indescribable. It was incredible to see the transformation on his face, the incredible joy on his face. And he stopped everything and he said to the interpreter, come here, and asked the interpreter to ask the boy, in Creole, tell me what you're feeling. And what happened was something was lost in the translation. And the little Haitian boy thought that if he accepted Jesus Christ, they were going to take him up into that baptistry and drown him. But he wanted Jesus Christ so bad that he was willing to die to have him. Oh, if we could only have that kind of commitment. So you, know, you can imagine the joy. Wow, this is awesome. <laughs> what could be more essential than life itself? Jesus is. Jesus is more essential than life itself. And in Acts 2.38, when it says every one of you, it means what it says, every one of you. At all of our locations. It's time to quit putting it off. It's time to quit negotiating. It's time to stop rationalizing. It's time to take a step of faith and trust what your heart is telling you. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.